0: WeWork was founded by Adam Newman, a man who spoke mostly in slogans, and his partner Miguel McKelvey back in 2010. Adam made some big claims, like that WeWork, a short term office leasing company, would elevate the world's consciousness, unleash every person's superpower, and that it operated on a WeOS, an operating system that makes work better and living better. So, yeah slogans. A simpler and possibly more accurate description of WeWork is that it is a shared office space with free beer. But it is hard to raise $22 billion with that description. A bit more magical realism is needed. That is why Newman, a man who was hardly ever seen near a computer, pitched it as a tech company and claimed that WeWork was the world's first physical social network. Now obviously the term physical social network doesn't actually mean anything, but venture capital people love lines like this. They focus more on the story than on the numbers. These are after all the same people who were impressed when Sam Bankman-Fried claimed while playing video games that FTX could someday be the world's leading banana procurement app. They are possibly even more gullible than Michael Lewis. And so, I won't make fun of them because it wouldn't be nice and I pretend to be nice on this channel. Adam Newman is said to have told anyone who would listen early on that his job was to keep growing the business until it was too big to fail. And He got pretty close to that goal. In September 2019, Eric Rosengren, the president of the Boston Federal Reserve Bank, actually warned that the collapse of WeWork could lead to huge losses for banks and commercial property owners. WeWork raised $22 billion from venture capital firms for a real estate business that never, not even once, turned a profit. It stands out as the worst venture capital deal in history. Earlier this week, WeWork announced that it would not be making two sets of interest payments on bonds, which total to over $95 million. This kicks off a 30-day grace period that could lead to default. The company says that they have enough liquidity to actually make the payments, and that they might elect to do so in the coming weeks. They say that they will use the 30-day grace period to negotiate with creditors. Last month they announced that they were renegotiating nearly all of their leases, and earlier this year said that there was substantial doubt about their ability to continue operations. So it may soon be all over for WeWork. No one is awfully surprised about this possible default. The bonds WeWork skipped payments on were trading at distressed levels of as low as 9 cents on the dollar before the announcement. WeWork went public just 2 years ago through a SPAC merger, and since then the stock has fallen almost 99.5%, which means that at this point, as a worst case scenario, it can only fall an additional 100%. Let's look at the rise and fall of WeWork, at why VCs lost so much money in the deal how Adam Newman got so rich while losing all of his investors' money, and at the end we'll discuss his new startup flow. Adam Newman, the co-founder of WeWork, moved to New York City in 2001 after finishing up military service in Israel. He enrolled in college but quickly dropped out to pursue his entrepreneurial dream of making baby clothes with built-in knee pads. His company was called Crawlers, spelt with a K, and to date it is still his most successful or least unsuccessful business venture. The clothes were difficult to sell because they were horrible, and this forced Adam to rent out half of his Brooklyn office space to another company. This sublease sparked the idea that led to WeWork, which he founded a few years later. WeWork's core business is pretty easy to understand. They rent large office spaces from commercial landlords, divide them up into smaller offices, which they then rent out on a more flexible basis to startups and other small businesses. They earn a small premium for trendy design flexibility and for organizing regular happy hours in the wake of the credit crunch when we were got going there were a lot of empty office buildings in new york there was also a newly displaced workforce who were hoping to earn a living through startups or freelancing interest rates were low and it was a great time to launch a co-working office space WeWork offered a solution to both struggling landlords and to entrepreneurs who didn't know how much office space they would need and who were nervous about signing long-term office leases. The team launched their first co-working spot in downtown Manhattan and from there it just boomed. The exposed brick aesthetic appealed to a younger startup community who loved the casual style and the sense of community of being around like-minded entrepreneurs. If you needed a lawyer or a graphic designer to help you with your startup, you would likely run into one at the coffee machines. Traditional landlords were resistant to getting involved in this type of business. It was by no means a new idea, and it was a business model that always struggled in economic downturns as small businesses folded and quickly cancelled their leases. Many of the landlords that Newman and McKelvey first approached had no interest in dealing with them, saying Why would I need you? I can do that myself if I need to. Newman and McKelvey didn't have a good answer for that question early on, but persisted anyway. There was nothing very special about WeWork back then. In 2008, the New York Times had even written an article about how co-working spaces were opening up all over the country with features like nap rooms, happy hours and good coffee. WeWork found its first outside investor in Joel Schreiber, a real estate investor who liked the idea but didn't have a suitable building to rent out to them. He wanted to invest with the team and asked what the company, which at this point was just in the idea stage, was worth. Newman decided to just throw out a big number and said $45 million. Schreiber surprisingly agreed to the valuation and put in $15 million to buy one third of the company. Newman learned a very big lesson that day. If you can boldly claim that your company is really valuable, you just need one person with money to agree to invest at that price, and the valuation takes on real meaning. The team found a rundown building in Soho that they could lease and set about kitting it out with IKEA furniture and renting it out office by office while they were still renovating the overall space. They would tell prospective tenants about the gym that they planned on installing, and how the vacant lot across the road would be converted into a park, and people just signed up. The gym and the park that they promised never actually materialized. In a year the business doubled in size, and from then on the growth was exponential. The first building was leased for a five-year term and then rented out to customers that they called members on a month-by-month basis. After that they began leasing buildings with more typical 15-year leases, which of course came with more risk. Adam had married Rebecca Paltrow, a cousin of Gwyneth Paltrow's, who had wealthy friends and he would pitch his scheme to them. By 2012 he had raised an additional $7 million from friends and family. But things really got going when he managed to get a $16.5 million investment from a venture capital firm called Benchmark who had funded startups like eBay, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter and Uber. This investment valued WeWork at $100 million. Coworking Rentals was a business that many real estate investors avoided because it was both risky and a low-margin business. When it went well, you didn't make very much money, and as soon as a recession occurred, you lost all of your tenants which could lead to bankruptcy. Others in the space couldn't understand where Adam was coming from with his promises of massive profits. While the business made very little sense to real estate veterans, Adam's focus on growth at the expense of profitability fit very well with a Silicon Valley mentality that it was best to acquire customers by any means necessary and then figure out profitability later. Real estate is a very different business to software, where there is next to no cost associated with getting an additional customer to download your app or convincing other people to use their personal cars as taxis. On top of that, the office real estate business has no moat to protect you against competitors. If you are successful, others can easily replicate your business model. It would appear that the people at Benchmark liked the fact that WeWork made more money per customer than most tech firms do. Tech firms can go years without earning any revenue from their customers, but mostly it seems they just liked Adam. He was a good talker and they felt that if they gave him money, he might find a way of building something great with it. So that's what they did. The one difference between WeWork and all of the other co-working spaces that were sprouting up all over the world at the time was Adam's access to capital. The competition were trying to run profitable businesses, while Adam was just trying to grow revenue as fast as possible because his investors cared more about growth than profits. Now that WeWork had VC funding, something previously unheard of in real estate, Adam set to work trying to make the business look more like a tech firm than an office rental business. This was no easy task for him as Adam barely knew how to use a computer and his head of IT at this $100 million startup was a 16-year-old high school kid nicknamed Joey Cables who installed routers in the buildings for minimum wage and who couldn't be contacted if there was a problem during school hours. WeWork quickly hired a team to develop all sorts of terrible software, so that the firm could somehow justify its tech stock valuation. They built an in-house version of LinkedIn so that WeWork members could connect to each other. Very few customers used this because LinkedIn already existed, and why would you use a version of it with fewer users? They built software It was supposed to be like Google Analytics for offices, which tracked conference room usage and used sensors to work out where people liked to hang out in the building. They experimented with face recognition cameras and microphones in meeting rooms that could track facial expressions and tones of voice. The idea was that it could tell members how interested their guests were in the meetings that they hosted. Sensors near the coffee machines revealed that lines get a bit long in the mornings, and other business insights gleaned through this office tech were that people liked desks near windows. Impressive stuff. A particularly intrusive idea was to analyse the sign-in book at the front desk to work out which of their tenants were getting visits from high-profile people, allowing WeWork to judge their tenants' business potential. While all of this tech development was going on, WeWork was allegedly struggling to process rent payments from their customers at many of their buildings because that tech, the tech that possibly mattered the most, wasn't always working. In 2014, JP Morgan Asset Management invested $150 million in WeWork at a new valuation of $1.5 billion making WeWork one of the 50 unicorns in the United States, a term that had been invented the prior year to describe a new crop of startups with private market valuations above a billion dollars, something that had never really happened before, as companies used to IPO long before hitting such valuations. By 2015, The five-year-old company had 23,000 customers and 32 locations, renting desks for as little as $45 per month. It was added to Fast Company's 50 Most Innovative Companies list. In 2016, WeWork raised $430 million in financing from a Chinese VC firm, which valued the company at $16 billion. Adam's pitch to potential investors at this point was that WeWork could grow at whatever rate investors wanted, so long as the investor was willing to fund the growth. They could pick their growth rate and he would tell them how much money they needed to invest to make that happen. Adam, who kept his office, apartment, Maybach and private jet, stocked with dozens of bottles of tequila, was known to celebrate every minor event by doing shots with whoever was present. A fight broke out in one of the buildings at one point when a tenant became infuriated because he couldn't get any work done due to the constant noise coming from Adams office, because he was constantly giving speeches, blasting music and doing shots with his employees. When the tenant asked Adam to turn the music down, he turned the volume up. At a deal closing with a VC investor, Adam once ripped a fire extinguisher off the wall in the meeting room and hosed down the visiting investment team who were not really expecting that to happen. They invested anyway. Things really picked up pace in 2016 when masayoshi Son, the founder of SoftBank, came on the scene. Sun was a man who had made risky bet after risky bet, a number of which had paid off big. For three days at the very end of the dot-com bubble, he had overtaken Bill Gates as the richest man in the world. He went on to lose 90% of his wealth that same year. Sun has made some surprising investments. He put $300 million into a dog walking app and $375 million into pizza making robots. These investments didn't really work out. He secured the exclusive rights to sell iPhones in Japan and then gave the phones away with cheap unlimited data plans to maximize market share. This wasn't a winner either. He had invested in driverless cars, food delivery services and vertical farming too. On the other hand, he put $20 million into Alibaba in its early days and this investment went on to be worth more than $100 billion. You get to make a few mistakes after a win like that. Sun tells the story that he knew to invest with Jack Ma when he saw a certain sparkle in his eye. Masayoshi had just raised $100 billion for his vision fund, mostly from the Saudi Arabian and Abu Dhabi sovereign wealth funds, when he met Adam Newman and saw a similar sparkle in his eye. Adam pitched that WeWork was a tech company to Sun, explaining how his team were developing a standing desk that automatically adjusts to a member's height, keyless entry systems, and a phone booth with smart lighting. This possibly sounded better than pizza making robots to Sun, who was enamored with Adam, but told him that he was being too short-sighted. Adam made a crazy pitch and Massa told him that it wasn't crazy enough. He said, that's great, but let's make it 10 times bigger. Sun decided to invest $4 billion into WeWork. This was Vision Fund's biggest investment to date and is one of the largest venture capital investments of all time. He pulled out an iPad and both men signed a letter of intent. The time taken from meeting Adam to signing the contract, which included a 12-minute tour of a WeWork building, came to under 30 minutes. SoftBank's investment gave WeWork a private valuation of $20 billion, making WeWork the fourth most valuable startup in the United States, just behind Uber, Airbnb and SpaceX, the leading money-losing startups in the world at the time. In 2017, WeWork doubled in size, opening an additional 100 co-working spaces around the world. Newman described the decision to open locations in Africa not as a growth opportunity, but as a duty to community and growth, because of how we work affects GDP and employment. In many ways, I think that he's more spiritual than Jack Dorsey. The core business, while growing rapidly, was unprofitable, but Newman diversified into other unprofitable business lines. We Live rented out tiny apartments with communal spaces which were supposed to mitigate loneliness and suicide. The units had two Murphy beds crammed into a studio apartment, with mattresses separated by a curtain. They suited New Yorkers who were concerned that their apartments were already too spacious. There was We Bike, We Sail, We Eat, We Move, a gym called Rise by We, and of course, the We World concept. We Grow was the elementary school run by Newman's wife Rebecca, who had no background in education, but claimed to have studied under the Dalai Lama and Mother Nature herself. The New York Post described We Grow as New York's most obnoxious elementary school. The school committed to unleashing every child's superpowers – well, every child whose parents could pay the $42,000 a year in tuition. Anyhow, I don't know, you you can't really expect unleashing superpowers to come cheap, even with VC funding. Adam told people that we neighbourhoods and we cities were a when, not an if. He even met up with Elon Musk at one point, who was claiming that he would have colonies on Mars by 2024. Adam offered to help out by building a WeWork co-working space on Mars. I am not sure if that is still planned, there is still a year to go. Now I am a bit worried that I haven't been clear enough about this. There was nothing remotely innovative about WeWork, people in the real estate world could not understand the valuation whatsoever. One reason for their confusion was that there was a UK-listed company called IWG, which used to be known as Regis, that was in the exact same business and traded at a fraction of the valuation of WeWork. People were looking at IWG, which was profitable, and WeWork, which was not, and wondering what was going on, what did SoftBank see that they didn't on almost every metric like global square footage number of members locations countries revenue and profit IWG was either similar or much better than we work except of course for valuation While there is no moat to protect you from competition in the office rental space, having access to a huge amount of capital and investors who didn't worry about profits meant that WeWork could destroy the profitability of their competitors, and maybe that was a moat of sorts. They would send teams to hand out leaflets at competing office spaces, offering one, two or even three years of free rent to entice small businesses to move to a WeWork office. With SoftBank money, WeWork was now paying real estate agents much higher fees than the competition in order to quickly secure the best locations. They would pay one year's rent as a fee to the agent and often offer their new tenants a year or more of free membership to convince them to sign up. This meant that a new building could go two or three years without generating any revenues at all. Another problem they were running into is that there were just not enough startups out there to rent all of the office space that they were bringing online. They began pitching to big firms like JP Morgan, IBM, and The Guardian newspaper that they should unload their real estate and move into more flexible leases in buildings operated by WeWork. They did end up renting space to a number of big firms. Masayoshi Son had pushed Newman to take his goals and multiply them by 10. But it seemed that there wasn't actually enough real estate available for WeWork to hit these new goals. New construction was popping up all over Seattle, for example, but the WeWork team found that if they occupied every new building going up in the city, they still would not hit their target. Landlords were also aware of how much soft bank money WeWork had to spend and how fast they wanted to move, and so pushed up their rents and refused to budge on pricing. WeWork would just pay the premium to keep growing. In the 2010s, massive amounts of money was flowing from VCs like SoftBank into everything from scooter rentals to food delivery to all-you-can-watch movie deals, burning cash to acquire customers. Facebook, Uber, and Airbnb all identified as platform businesses, as did Beyond Meat, Peloton, and Casper Mattresses. When the popular YouTuber, and NYU professor Aswat de Moderen, argued that Uber's total addressable market was the $100 billion taxi and limousine market, Silicon Valley VCs shot back, arguing that it was instead every car on the road. This kind of belief was necessary to justify some of the crazy valuations that were happening in the private markets at the time. The tech unicorns themselves were of course reluctant to go public, as it might be more of a struggle to convince people outside of the Silicon Valley bubble that any of this made sense. Jeff Bezos had raised just one round of VC funding before taking Amazon public, Mark Zuckerberg had gone through five rounds of fundraising, WeWork had stayed private long enough for SoftBank to invest in a seventh round of financing. WeWork lost over $2 billion in 2018, a loss well beyond anything Amazon, the ultimate growth-before-profits company, had ever managed in its fastest growth phase. In January 2019, WeWork raised an additional $2 billion from SoftBank at a $47 billion valuation. SoftBank considered investing as much as $16 billion at the time, but downsized their plans due to turbulence in financial markets and opposition from their investors. In May 2019, Uber, another SoftBank company, went public at a valuation of $82 billion. It had been valued at $120 billion just months earlier in the private market. Its IPO, made history with the biggest first-day dollar loss that's ever been seen. It fell 7.6% on the first day of trading. SoftBank's Uber investment was underwater at this price, making it difficult for Sun to deploy any more money into WeWork, a business that seemed similar but worse than Uber. With WeWork's high cash burn rate and with VC money drying up, The company was going to have to go public soon. Adam believed that Uber's mistake had been to show fiscal restraint in the lead up to the IPO, as the conservatism had slowed growth which had spooked investors. His plan was to double down on spending and wow investors with the shocking growth rate he could achieve. WeWork, which was now the most valuable private startup in America, was in a mad rush to go public, as they were rapidly running out of money. They rushed to get their accounts in order and file an S1 document with the SEC. Rebecca, Adam's wife, was now listed as a co-founder of the firm, and she didn't like that the documents were weighed down with numbers. She spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on hiring fashion photographers for a 37-page photo spread that was included in the middle of the securities filing. This is very unusual. She also insisted on personally selecting the paper the form would be printed on. Adam struggled to articulate in writing what made WeWork different to other real estate firms like IWG. He was better able to convince investors with a bottle of tequila and a fire extinguisher than with the company's accounts. The S1 filing started out with the line, we are a community company committed to maximum global impact. Our mission is to elevate the world's consciousness. That's not the typical language you'll find in a securities filing. The document revealed that Adam had cashed out more than $700 million worth of WeWork stock – far more than any other startup CEO had ever done in history. As VCs had been putting money in, he had been taking money out. It revealed that he had trademarked the word WE and sold it to the company for $5.9 million. There were errors exaggerating the number of desks being rented out, which had to be restated. It came out in the filing that Adam personally owned a number of buildings that had been rented to WeWork, which looked like a serious conflict of interest. Those leases called for $235 million in future payments to Adam. It didn't help the IPO prospects, when news outlets reported that Adam had smoked so much weed on a private jet flight to Israel that the crew had to wear oxygen masks to fly safely and that they had refused to fly him back to the United States. The SEC sent a nine-page list of objections to the S1 filing. They asked if WeWork could clarify why they felt their assumed desk occupancy rate of 100% was reasonable. They said that non-GAAP accounting metrics like community-adjusted EBITDA, which appeared in the document more than 100 times, could mislead investors. They asked for clarity on the meaning of the 37-page photographic spread in the document, which did not appear to have a clear disclosure or investor protection purpose. WeWork was receiving so much bad press and investor mockery at this point that they approached Google who will help companies buy their way out of a bad news cycle by burying bad press in search with paid ads. There was so much bad press at this point in time that even with SoftBank's money, it was too expensive to pay for this service. SoftBank and JP Morgan, WeWork's biggest financial backers, had had enough at this point and asked Adam to postpone the IPO and to step down as CEO. SoftBank at this point still believed in the co working business model and thought that if they could replace Newman with a competent CEO, they could possibly turn things around. The company appointed Sandeep Mathrani, a real estate pro to be its new CEO just one month before the global pandemic struck, completely disrupting the entire commercial real estate industry. WeWork was especially hard hit at this time due to the short term nature of their contracts. The new management implemented severe cost cuts, staff were laid off and underperforming building leases were cancelled or renegotiated. In October 2021 the company finally went public by merging with a SPAC at a $9 billion valuation, down quite a bit from the $47 billion valuation that had been claimed less than two years earlier. The new management claimed that after all of the cost cutting, the firm just needed to achieve a 70% occupancy rate to break even, and this rate had been achieved pre-pandemic. The SPAC merger injected $1.3 billion into the firm, which would help with the cash burn until occupancy recovered. Jim Kramer, the Mad Money host, announced that he was bullish on the IPO. It is just as it wasn't the company we needed uh, a year ago, it is the company we need now. I thought I I have to tell you, uh I have been very critical of the recently a lot of SPACs. So I'm not critical about this one. Occupancy did grow in the wake of the pandemic, but not fast enough. While they did eventually reach 70% occupancy, they didn't achieve break-even, and the firm continued to lose money. WeWork raised a cumulative $22 billion of equity capital over its life and burned through almost every penny of it, never reaching profitability, even after severe cost-cutting. I can tell that a few of you have gotten to really like Adam over the course of this story and possibly worry about him having fallen on hard times. Well don't worry about Adam, everything worked out just fine for him. As I mentioned earlier, he managed to take a lot of money out of the company during the boom period. He also received a substantial layoff package and has an estimated net worth today of $2.2 billion. Last year he received a $350 million investment from the prominent Silicon Valley venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz for his new company Flow, which plans to transform the residential real estate market. The investment, which is the largest individual cheque Andreessen Horowitz has ever written in a round of funding to a company, valued Flo at more than $1 billion before it even opened its doors. Mark Andreessen wrote in a post on his website when announcing the deal. It is often underappreciated that only one person has fundamentally redesigned the office experience and led a paradigm-changing global company in the process – Adam Newman. The company says that they hope to address some aspects of the United States housing shortage through technology, providing equity for renters and a new type of social interaction. So that sounds great. Let's hope that this new business goes on to be as successful as his first business, Crawlers. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. Send a link to a friend if you think that they might enjoy it too. Have a great week and talk to you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.